This is the Incubator and the Neonatology Review Podcast. We are your study buddies for neonatology topics. I'm Dr. Ben Korsha. And I'm Dr. Daphne Yasova Barbo. Welcome. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Incubator and Neonatology Review. It is Friday. We have reached the end of the week where we talk about IVH, and we are ready to go through some questions. Mm-hmm. Daphna has prepared a set. I see them here, 21, 27, 28. Mm-hmm. All right. All right. All right. Let's go. I'm going to okay. let you uh, take the lead, boss. You, you are the it. question person. So this is uh, the Neonatology Review, Neurology Question 21. Intraventricular hemorrhage is associated with adverse neurodevelopmental outcomes and affects up to 25% of very low birth weight infants. Of the multiple antenatal prevention strategies targeted at improvement of outcomes in the premature infant, the antenatal intervention or interventions that has or have been associated with a reduction in IVH is or are A, corticosteroids, B, indomethacin, C, magnesium sulfate, D, A and B only, or E, all of the above. Yeah, so I think think here, um, Brodsky and Martin are both testing our knowledge of uh, prevention Mm -hmm. of IVH and also our test-taking skill. So for the Mm -hmm. people who uh, obviously are listening and uh, who can't see what I'm seeing, antenatal in the question is capitalized. So... Mm -hmm. Uh, I think that's 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 a typical thing where if that question shows up on the last like 30 minutes of the test, you may miss it because right. we've talked you're about endomethacin and that's you're rushing right. an endomethacin, you could you could make a case and, and you mm-hmm. could have paper to support your case that it is a, 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 a medication used for the prevention of IVH. However, it is a postnatal intervention, not an mm-hmm. antenatal. And so that test taking skill number one where B is wrong, so then D and E then suddenly mm-hmm. go out the window. And, yeah. you're, and you're left with A, which is corticosteroids, and C, mag sulfate. And, um, and it's kind of nice, because if you had any doubts about one or the two of the two, now you know that you have to pick one. But we spoke on the podcast, you mentioned that on Wednesday, that uh, antenatal corticosteroids is the only one really that's uh, evidence-based. Mag sulfate does not reduce IVH. Uh, it reduces longer outcome stuff, but not IVH specifically. That's right. That's right. Um, so to recap, though you did a very nice job, there have been numerous antenatal prevention strategies. However, only the use of antenatal corticosteroids has demonstrated a statistically significant reduction of IVH by almost 50%. While the mechanism is not completely understood, this reduction is observed after antepartum corticosteroid exposure hopefully for 24 or 48 hours and leads to a lower IVH incidence and decreased IVH severity. In addition, maternal fetal transport for imminent preterm birth has been shown to reduce the incidence of IVH as compared to those infants born at local centers that require transfer. Other antenatal strategies that have been tried include magnesium sulfate, phenobarbital, vitamin K, a mode of delivery, none of which has resulted in decreasing the occurrence of IVH. The ideal prevention strategy would be to reduce the incidence of preterm birth because the risk of IVH is substantially decreased once an infant is born greater than 32 weeks. Yeah, and you did mention that. Mm -hmm. Okay, now question 27. Uh, Daphna, preterm infants with a gestational age less than 32 weeks gestation are screened 
for intraventricular hemorrhage with a head ultrasound. Risk factors associated with IVH include all of the following, except choice A, fluctuating arterial blood pressures. Choice B, hypocapnia. Choice C, hypotension in the first few hours of age. Choice D, pneumothorax. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, we know that, I mean, A is definitely true. It's the, the change in blood flow, particular cerebral blood flow, and the preterm baby's inability to um, regulate that blood flow that puts them at risk. So A, definitely. Um, and mm-hmm. so uh, hypotension is, you know, goes with A. And then pneumothorax or anything that may cause <laughs> fluctuating blood pressures um, and uh, pneumothorax in particular causes that increased thoracic pressure um, mm-hmm. would would be a risk factor for IVH. So it's, it's B, hypocapnia. Yeah, that is correct. Um, basically, the answer... Um, really summarizes what you just said, which which is that identified risk factors for IVH include prematurity, as we've said in the prior question. Um, we've mentioned on the podcast that male sex has been identified as a risk factor as well. Surfactant deficiency, complications of RDS, which include hypercapnia, pneumothorax, fluctuating blood pressure, and early hypotension. So it's tricky because hypercapnia has been identified, not mm-hmm. hypocapnia. Um, and like we've said also on the podcast, there's some data to show that fluctuating CO2 levels, rapidly fluctuating CO2 levels mm-hmm. could be also a cause, but definitely uh, hypocapnia was the uh, incorrect choice there. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay, moving right along. And I think you actually covered this early in the week. Neurology question 28, intraventricular hemorrhage occurs in preterm infants because A, birth trauma precipitates bleeding from the germinal matrix, B, Platelets are dysfunctional in preterm infants, prompting intraventricular bleeding. C, preterm infants had limited ability to autoregulate cerebral blood flow. D, the germinal matrix is highly vascular to support neuronal development by oligodendrocytes. Or E, C, and D, that the preterm infant cannot autoregulate and the germinal matrix is highly vascular. Right. So... (laughs) choice D about the germinal matrix being highly vascular to support neural development. Bioligodendrites is the, the, the miserable, miserable analogy that I gave about the construction sites that uh, this sort of, <laughs> as, as this powerhouse of the brain is, is active early in pregnancy, it needs a rich blood supply to, to uh, supply the energy needs uh, of the germinal matrix. So D is correct. Um, we know that C is correct too. Preterm infants have limited ability to autoregulate cerebral blood flow. Um, actually, in the presentation this week, you'll see we have like a nice little graph. Oof, I forget where we pulled it from, but it does show um, cerebral cerebral blood flow regulation comparing like adults, children, and preterm infants, and the, and the differences are quite striking. Mm-hmm. So I know C and D are correct. Um, I don't think there's any. Um, basis for the platelet uh, dysfunction in preterm infants. And it's tricky because it's like a partly correct, partly incorrect mm-hmm. statement. So mm-hmm. like, so it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, but that's not really at the root cause. We didn't really mention that. And then birth trauma. Um, I mean, birth trauma can cause intracranial bleeds, but it's mm-hmm. not usually germinal matrix bleeds. So, so that's not correct. I'm going to say CND. That's right. And that's a great, great testing skill, right? You knew C was right. You knew D was right. And there's an answer that has them both. So that's probably the right answer. 
So you're absolutely right. The germinal matrix has this risk vascular supply because it's producing the oligodendrocytes, this glial cell, which makes the myelin sheaths between 23 and 32 weeks gestation. And so because it's so vascular and the germinal matrix doesn't really have the same structural integrity of the vessels that are built to last many years, because after this um, kind of mass production, it goes away, um, this region is prone to bleeding. In addition, the blood flow to the germinal matrix is variable because of the limited ability of preterm infants to auto-regulate cerebral blood flow. Okay. Okay. Let me see. <laughs> you you mentioned that true false that you may want to skip that true false. Should we still do it? We Let's we can still do it. do it. Let's do, we'll it. do it. All right. True false. Suspiciously you get the true false again. I think this was the case last time. <laughs> I'm going to have to have better oversight of this uh of this, this question. This was a very this is actually an important point, I think. Okay, so then let's see. Uh, it's a true-false question, and the statement that you have to assess is the following. A grade 1 or grade 2 intraventricular hemorrhage is not associated with an increased risk of developmental disability significantly over and above the background risk associated with the gestational age and birth weight. Da -da -da. That's a tricky yeah. one. Good, I good, know. good. It's a good true-false question. <laughs> and unfortunately, it's false. That is correct. Uh, it is false. Uh, we, we've talked about that on the podcast mm -hmm. this week. Grade 1, grade 2 IVH are associated with poor neurodevelopmental outcomes. Um, then infants with similar ages and birth weights without those types of, of, uh, of intraventricular bleeds. And the interesting thing is that it's not something that has been uh, consistent as a as a as an information throughout uh, the history of medicine, we we thought for a long time that grade one and two were benign uh, and that mm -hmm. kids recovered fine, but this has been demonstrated to be incorrect. And again, in the presentation this week, we have some tables to show you a little bit some of the extent um, of of how much that is. Actually, actually, let me see. I can actually pull this up right now, um, but um, it's quite it's quite interesting. Uh, incidence prognosis, um, yeah. So, so in the paper that we we looked at, the grade one to grade two IVH, um, the mental developmental index was seventy four uh, in some in the study that they quoted with a an MDI of less than seventy in forty five percent of infants, cerebral palsy in thirteen percent, neurological impairment in forty seven percent, and then in the in the Volpe textbook. Grade one and two are associated with uh, incidence of definite neurological sequelae in 15 and 25% respectively. Mm -hmm. So it's really like, I guess what I'm trying to say is that we're not here to tell you like, oh, it's like one extra percent. Like it's significant. Mm -hmm. It's significant. very significant. Yeah. It's very significant. Definitely mention it during your, your yeah. counseling. <laughs> yeah. We can't just brush it off. It's nice to, it's nice when we can say to a parent that bleeding in the brain, oh, nothing to worry about, but mm -hmm. we really can't say that. So, okay. Neurology question 30, our last one of the group today, a, a parenchymal hemorrhagic infarction, formerly termed grade four intraventricular hemorrhage, most likely occurs because A, intraventricular blood extends into the brain parenchyma, B, large hematoma develops in the germinal matrix, C, venous occlusion occurs in terminal veins, followed by infarction and secondary bleeding, or D, B, and C. A large hematoma develops, and uh, there's venous occlusion in the terminal veins, followed by infarction. 
Okay, so that's something that we did talk about as well in the mm-hmm. podcast, and that uh, Dr. Michael Weiss reviewed with us on Thursday. So, so it should mm-hmm. not be too much of a of a problem. And if I remember correctly, um, the the grade four used to be thought of as an extension, but it's actually compression in the germinal matrix of uh, the the venous blood flow of the terminal veins, and so it's that occlusion that then causes an infarction, which which is kind of, it's to me, it's still very funny because it used to be called grade four. We used to thought it as an extension of IVH. And then we realized it's not, uh, it's related, but it's really not mm-hmm. an extension. And mm-hmm. yet it's still on the classification, even though it's like, you know, it's like, mm-hmm. even though it's a, almost a complete different pathology. That's so, right. Uh, <laughs> yeah. But yeah, uh, okay, it shouldn't I'm be called grade BNC. four. It should be like an asterisk or something. Yeah, it should be, it should be, it should be a standalone pathology. <laughs> Yeah, so it's it's BNC, a grade four intraventricular hemorrhage, also known as also known as parenchymal hemorrhagic infarction, occurs because veins of the periventricular white matter drain into the terminal vein, which runs through the germinal matrix. So, um, venous occlusion in this area in the terminal veins leads to infarction and then a secondary um, bleeding. But a hematoma in the germinal matrix. Um, for example, with a large grade three, and that's why they're still kind of related, can occlude the venous drainage of the terminal vein, leading to infarction and secondary bleed. So, good job today. Just like that, huh? We're done. That's that's just like that. And then we have, um, so we're very excited about this upcoming Journal Club episode this Sunday. Mm-hmm. It's episode 100 of the that's Incubator right. podcast. Um, I know we've we've crossed 100 a long time ago on this particular channel, mm-hmm. but um, that means that um, for 100 weeks we've been we've been consistently <laughs> releasing episodes every Sunday, and um, yeah, that's not too bad. No, it's it's it it, it feels like both a very long time and both in a short time all the same time. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. I mean, to me, the the biggest thing was that we we decided that we were going to be very consistent, and and I, I know that we haven't reached the two year mark, so technically we're even ahead a little bit because we've released mm-hmm. some Tech Tuesdays, we've released some Neo Hard specials and stuff. But uh, I'm just very proud of the consistency that we've been able to put in, and uh, all these yeah, post call recordings are paying listen, off. There might be some people who listen to this podcast but not the other podcast, so check it out. Yeah, you're you're. You're, you're you're missing out. I mean, but I have a feeling that people should be. Um, but it's 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 the other podcast is actually really good. I I find that <clears throat> the journal clubs are very helpful. But the interviews, yeah. I, I have, I find myself re-listening really to a lot it. of the interviews because the mm-hmm. the pearls of knowledge that some of our guests are imparting on us are quite are quite amazing. Um, mm-hmm. And it's and it's quite uh, it's quite interesting to have the opportunity to to create a library of audio files uh, for all these amazing individuals who are all very much like, yeah, it's like every, the, the, the part that each person plays in the field is, mm-hmm. is so significant. And, and so it's kind of nice to be able to document that. All right, buddy. All right. See you Sunday. See you Sunday. Thank you for Bye-bye. listening to this episode of the incubator and neonatology review podcast. If you like our show, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. We would love to hear from you, so please feel free to reach out to Daphna and I via email by sending your messages to nikupodcast at gmail.com. You can also message the show on Twitter at nikupodcast. 
Thanks again for listening and see you next time. This podcast is intended to be purely for entertainment and informational purposes and should not be construed as medical advice. If you have any medical concerns, please see your primary care practitioner. Thank you.